The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. I am professional wrestler Chris Rex, and if you're hearing my voice, that means you're listening to the Bear of Texas podcast. Soccer fans all over the world, it is time. It is time for another strong session of into the net FC. So, sit back, relax, and get ready for a wild ride where you will hear the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. The intensity on the pitch is about to go down. And here we go. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the Bear of Texas. Welcome to another edition of Into the Net FC, the soccer talk segment of the Bear of Texas podcast, available on Spotify, Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and YouTube. It is my honor and my privilege to once again welcome my good friend and my mentor, in beautiful and sunny Southern California, ladies and gentlemen, let's once again give it up for Steve Adams. Welcome back, Steve. Hey, good to be here. Don't know so much about the beautiful part. Uh, it's more smoky California these days with all the residual um, in the air from the fires that we're having all throughout the state. So uh, when you walk outside your house, it's not too unlike going into the poker room at a casino. It's just a mite smoky. Oh, I totally understand. However, overall, California, Southern California is beautiful, and quite frankly, I should be there right now. However, since we're all in this together, we're going to get through this together. I'm doing my best to stay positive. That is why I'm having fun doing this Soccer Talk segment. So this week, ladies and gentlemen, Steve and I are going over the first week of Premier League. We're going to give our thoughts, and we will give a couple of thoughts going into week two. And Steve, I can honestly say it's been quite an interesting first week. It was a very interesting first week. It's sort of like, you know, where do you begin? Um, I think maybe a good place to start maybe with the defending champions, Liverpool, who were playing at home at Anfield against newly promoted Leeds United. 
And uh, Liverpool got more than a match in a very, very, very exciting, fun-to-watch game. Uh, it took a penalty in the last three minutes of the game off of a foul on Fabinho in the box that got cashed in by Mo Salah for his, uh, to finish his hat-trick. Liverpool just barely hung on to beat Leeds 4-3. to three. And Leeds showed a lot of defensive shortcomings um, on the day against the defending champs. They did, and honestly, in Leeds United's case, while it is a loss, the fact that they challenged Liverpool and scored three goals, you know, and it took Liverpool four goals to win, I still think Leeds United has a lot of pride, and really, while it's not always good to start off with a loss, but I think Leeds United, they should be okay as long as they keep their head up. And even as a Manchester United supporter, when Mo Salah has a great game, I'm happy. And some folks want to. If some folks really want to want to understand why, and I'll get to that because that's part of our quest. But we'll get to that at the end. But uh, and honestly, I, I needed a, a match to watch, and this was it because and, uh, obviously Manchester United, along with Manchester City, didn't actually play uh, during this reg- regular schedule in Week One. I guess because of the uh, the, the Champions League. Or, I, actually, I don't know because Liverpool. I mean, I don't know, but Liverpool. I mean, a lot of people are scratching their head based on Liverpool's defense, but. I really don't think it's necessary to hit the panic button just yet. I mean, it's, it's one game, but... Well, it, it, it is a marathon, and you could read too much into into some games, but, uh, but just in the last couple of games that Liverpool has played um, in, the, in that opening um, match with Arsenal... Um, the Community Shield match, uh, Arsenal showed uh, some real frailty on Liverpool's defense in that game. And then, um, boy, Van Dyke and Alexander-Arnold, they had really, really tough games for Liverpool. In fact, Leeds, they looked like on purpose they were attacking on Alexander-Arnold's side of the field, which is... Kind of unusual. Usually he's considered the much better of the defender of, between him and Robertson, who usually patrols the left side on Liverpool's defense. But uh, they went right at Alexander-Arnold. And, uh, you know, on their first goal, uh, Arnold got burned. And then um, on Leeds's third goal, it was off a gift uh, from Van Dyke. So, uh, but you got to give Leeds credit. I mean, they pretty much played... Root one ball. They didn't really try to mess around too much with the ball in midfield. They just pretty much tried to get it uh, from defense up to the front and bypass the midfield, and they did so with great success. They played with a mentality which I like to call bring it on tough guy. It's when a big club like Liverpool with all that hype and potential is being challenged by a team that's making a return to the top flight in England, and they're challenging them big time. I mean, Leeds United, it's not just a simple loss. I would say it was a losing effort. And losing effort means you lose the game, but you put on one hell of an effort. You were resilient, and you deserve a lot of respect, even though you did not win the game. And in in Liverpool's case, I understand that some people are obviously unhappy, but look, these games happen. I mean, every now and then, a big team with all that hype, all that potential, all those weapons, they're going to be surprised. And we've learned this, you know, a long time ago. This is simply just part of the game. 
Well, I'll say this, though. Liverpool's next game this weekend is against Chelsea, and Chelsea's attacking options are of a much, much higher caliber than what Leeds has. So, And this game will also be played at an empty Stamford Bridge. So uh, I think Chelsea has to be, you know, very, very anxious to take on Liverpool right now after after what they've shown. Absolutely. And unfortunately for Chelsea, um, they did win their first game uh, with Brighton. Christian Pulisic uh, being out is still obviously a, a big hiccup. Um, however, you know, coming off a 3-1 to win, it seems, I don't think, I'm not sure if Olivier Giroud was actually playing. Seems to, doesn't look like he was actually in the starting lineup, but but Chelsea's really gotten some hype going on. I mean, Timo Werner was uh, was on the lineup, and I actually I'm actually taking a look at the formation. I, I don't think I've ever seen this formation a four by two by two by two formation. So I'm guessing it's four defenders, two midfielders, two forwards, and two strikers. Huh. Well, well, and Werner played a very good game for Chelsea, so. Um... So yeah, you know it was a good game. They got three goals against uh, against Brighton. Uh, Brighton had one goal, but um, Chelsea definitely played with some attacking flair on the road down at the South Coast. It's very interesting. So I'm taking a look. Okay, Zir- okay, Giroud was was in the he was okay he was on the bench. Okay, because I was fearing for a second that he got hurt, and I was unaware of it because as far as you know French footballers go, I mean Kylian Mbappe, you know caught the COVID-19 that, you know, Pogba did. It's just, it's just absolutely, you know, it's scary. But, but here's, okay, now this is super interesting. Everton beating Tottenham on the road. And we saw in the headlines what Jose Mourinho had to say. And it's like you said last week, Steve, Jose Mourinho is the kind of manager that loves drama. In fact, I think we can honestly say he welcomes it. Well, in in this game where Everton got the win at Tottenham, uh, Everton actually probably should have won by more than than one goal to zip. Uh, Everton played some beautiful attacking ball. James Rodriguez had an absolutely fantastic game. This is a guy who is hardly playing with Real Madrid. His um, his skills have just been, you know, sort of growing like moss on a cave wall. So they really hadn't been doing much with him. So now that he was finally getting a chance to play, and in the system that Ancelotti's got him playing in, uh, Jaime Rodriguez had just a fantastic match for Everton. He made several great passes, and uh, a, he brings a much greater imagination to the Everton attack. Uh, most of last year, Everton's attack was very sterile. Uh, this isn't the same Everton as last year. It's a very, very vastly improved team. I mean, this is an Everton team that's beginning to rise out of the ashes, out of mediocrity, because they recently acquired James Rodriguez from Real Madrid. And uh, what's interesting, you know, Luca Digne, a French defender, I, I believe he actually had the assist in, in this game. Luca Dean previously played for Barcelona, and while he did have some good moments there, I think it was certainly for the best interest for him to go to Everton because a lot of my friends would ask me, you know, why would he want to go from Barcelona to Everton? And I said, well, keep in mind, I mean, these decisions are business decisions. With Barcelona having all these players 
and when you, when you want the opportunity to play more and make make a name for yourself and build yourself, if there's a chance for you to do that with another club, with a you know a well known club, you have to take that chance. Well, I mean, if you're a player, you want to play, and yes, if you're getting a good paycheck and if you're with a great club, yeah, as long as the check is clearing, I guess you can say life is good. But at the end of the day, you still want to play, and. He's getting. He's going to get a whole lot more chances to play with Ancelotti and, and Everton. And the best part is for Luca, is you know, unfortunately, you know, this makes me sad. He was not on the French squad that won the World Cup, and personally, I think he should have been. And as he improves and gets better, there is absolutely no doubt in my mind, mind that this young defender is going to represent France in a major competition in the future. Well, it also just highlights just how deep the French system is as far as cranking out young talent. I mean, there just seems to be this this endless supply of young French talent uh, that is coming to the other leagues, that's coming to England, that's going to Italy and Spain and Germany, and they're shining. You know, it's unbelievable. In, in, in the French Football Federation, I mean, there's always you know one kid ready to go that's why I'm really hoping for the the French national soccer team continues to qualify for tournaments because not qualifying would be absolutely catastrophic. Now, I want to talk about what Jose Mourinho said. Based on some of the headlines, apparently I think he called his team lazy. Well, they were outworked. Uh, like Big I time. said, Ever- Everton, Everton should have won by more than one goal. Um, you know, it was, it was a very sterile looking Tottenham side, uh, no imagination and Everton just looked much more, much more quick on the ball, much more lively, better performance. So I think this is a case where, you know, maybe Jose was right to maybe light a fire under his players and saying, you know, this effort was not sufficient. I mean, it was, and. I really don't think Jose meant any disrespect. I mean, it's like you just said. He's trying to light a fire in his players. That's what managers do. Like When there's disappointing results, that manager has to take it upon himself to tell his players, you are better than this. We have to be better than this. And I, in that case, I mean, I mean, with Harry Kane, I mean, all that talent that Tottenham has, it's humiliating that they lose one nothing. I mean, you know, on home soil. So it is very unacceptable to lose that way. And all I can say is, I hope they get it together. Now, a lot, a lot of my England supporters will say, well, you're a Man U fan, you shouldn't be saying that. But keep in mind, y'all, there's the objective and professional um, perspective in my mind. And I'm not going to let that fan perspective take over because that is absolutely catastrophic. And I can't do this talk segment without being in the right frame of mind. It's about simply telling the truth, folks. And if you guys know me very well, I tell the truth, the whole truth. And nothing but the truth. Now we move on to Newcastle versus West Ham. Well, I mean, I guess should we say is it no? Is it really a surprise that West Ham loses their first game? It's not a surprise, and I think that um, West Ham supporters will be going to the Olympic Stadium, and well, once they can go back to the stadium. But I think West Ham fans will be white knuckling it. Uh, quite a bit this season. They were able to just stay up 
Um, they were able to do pretty well the last three games of the regular season so that they ensured staying up, but uh, it was not a sure thing. And uh, with what they showed against Newcastle, uh, it, may, it may be another very stressful year for West Ham supporters. I mean, Newcastle United, for so many years, I've always felt like it's, it's, it's unfortunate because they have talent. I guess it's just the mentality or maybe the inability to be, play under pressure. Maybe that's what's really caused them to be in such despair. But keep in mind, Newcastle United, they're one of those teams, they used to be really good. I mean, let's not forget the Alan Shearer era. And this also reminds me of the fact that the great Zinedine Zidane could have been part of that team. But I believe, I mean, this is probably just me, but I really believe that Newcastle is really on their way to becoming a great team again. Well, it's a team that's always drawn well in the north of England. Uh, there's the the Geordie fan base is passionate, and they they really do support that club. I know that there was some talk towards the end of the regular season about a Saudi Arabian concern buying out the club and taking that over, and that that hasn't come to pass. So. What would happen if you were to get some more golf money infused into Newcastle? You know, could they turn things around kind of overnight, not too unlike what happened over in Manchester City? You know, in soccer, I like to say if there's a team that's owned and operated by a wealth, you know, by wealthy owners and everything. You can have all the money in the world and buy all the players you want. You can even buy the most expensive players in the world. But if you don't know how to use them or if you're just not using them properly and you're refusing to, you're not going to get anywhere. So, I mean, a lot of people just don't get it because a lot of people say, like, like PSG can have anybody they want. I mean, just because you can buy anybody you want, if you don't use them properly, you don't put them in, you don't use the formations, you don't have them play the way they're, you know, they're known for playing, you're really not going to get anywhere. And PSG's been learning that lesson for the last few years. I mean, all that expensive talent like Neymar, Mbappe, just to name a few. Why do you think that they they would choke out in the, in the round of 16? I mean, it's not only, it's because of mentality, obviously. That's what PSG's known by. But when the team's not properly run or they're just... That groove is just not there, that's usually what happens. So I hope that Newcastle, if they do have that advantage with all that money, I mean, I hope they can do the right thing and become the team they were. And, and I like how you mentioned, I mean, that team, they have a huge fan base. A very good, very good fan base. And what I really like about Newcastle, I like, the, you know, the city that they play in. I actually like the name. It's, I think it's, I believe it's Newcastle upon Tyne. I, I right. Find that, I find that pretty, pretty unique. But It's an awesome city. It's an awesome city. I was there for the Rugby World Cup back in 2015. My wife and I saw uh, Scotland and Samoa play, um, and it's a fantastic stadium where Newcastle plays. It's it's a wonderful place to watch a game. The sight lines are fantastic. There are some awesome pubs that are within walking distance. Uh, it's it's really a, a super fan experience there. It is, and that's the culture. I mean, they have such unique soccer culture. And for the folks, uh, for all my followers in New, in uh, England, I assure you that Newcastle upon time. Upon time is on my list to visit. So now we move on. Leicester City, a three nothing win over West Brom. 
Well, another day, another day at the office uh, for Jamie Vardy. A um, couple of goals. Um, I mean, all the promo- all the promoted teams were 0 for three, but um, but yeah, West Brom. Uh, they were just vastly outplayed by Leicester City. And you know, when we spoke about this last week. Leicester City, they're not happy because of of, of how. Uh, the Premier League uh, campaign ended for them last year for Manchester United to s- literally take that that spot right from their hands when Leicester City had it in their hands for so long. The Red Devils just come, and they took it. So Leicester City is in a mentality to where we are not letting this happen again. It's a decent side, and Brendan Rodgers uh, did a fantastic coaching job Probably his best coaching job that he's done since uh, he was coaching at Blackpool a few years ago. Um, so, got to give him credit. But um, but Jamie Vardy, steady as always. A uh, couple of goals. Well done for the Foxes. Mm-hmm. And speaking of Jamie Vardy, he's currently the second highest uh, scorer right now in the Premier League. Obviously, Mohamed Salah is at the top with three. And, and Vardy's... Right there at two, but that's after only one game. But Fardy is definitely off to a good start, and I think he may have a chance of possibly competing to be the top scorer this year. That's the Premier League, folks. Anything can happen. But now we go to Sheffield versus the Wolverhampton Wolves. Wolverhampton just jumped on Sheffield early, and they they just never looked back uh, off a of beautiful counter-attacking movement. Wolverhampton went virtually the length of the field. Uh, Raul Jimenez, the Mexican center forward, scored just an absolute classy goal to put the Wolves up one zip. And then a few minutes later, off off a header uh, from, a, from a nice cross, two zip. They put her in cruise control. And um, tough start uh, in Yorkshire for Sheffield United. I mean, that's why I said at the beginning it's been quite an interesting start because I really didn't ha- I really did not anticipate Sheffield United losing their first game because Sheffield United even though last year I mean last year was their first you know return it was their first time in the uh, top flight in quite some time and they it wasn't a very successful season but they did do their best and they made the most of it. Well, they contended for a Euro spot up to the last few games of the season. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, Sheffield, you know, they they did much better. Um, I I think they're, I want to say, eighth place finish for a team that was just promoted uh, was a really great job by Sheffield. But, um, but, you know, that's yesterday's news, and now it's a new season, so now... You know, Sheffield United, they've got to, you know, dust themselves up after an opening day loss at home to Wolves. And um, Wolverhampton, they've still been able to keep their attacking nucleus of Adama Traore and Raul Jimenez. They're back. And as they can show, they are just absolutely lethal on the counter. Absolutely. Which brings us to, I believe this is the final game of week one. Crystal Palace versus Southampton. Another one yeah. of those games where they jumped a they jumped in early. A dude named Wilfred Zaha 
scores in, is in the 13th minute, and then Wolver- and then Crystal Palace, you know, never looks back. Well, Zaha's goal was very, very classy finish. It was very nice volley um, off the cross to finish that. So it was a great goal, and then they finished that. And then, um, you know, interesting with this opening weekend, there was not a single draw. Every every match had a, had a winner and a loser. There wasn't a single draw match, not a single 0-0 match. So um, some attacking play and some goals. Another fact of why I said at the beginning, a very interested, interesting week. And as I'm looking right now at the score between Crystal Palace and Southampton, Southampton had 79% of ball possession, completing 580 passes, while Crystal Palace completed only 236, a 78% pass accuracy. Wow, I mean... it's, it seems, I think, yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure what to say. Maybe it's just they knew how to handle the ball. They just could not finish. Shall I just say it like that? I think ball control can sometimes be – control of possession, I think, can be one of the more overrated statistics in, in soccer. I think a lot of it – it doesn't necessarily mean how dangerous you are, how many attacking opportunities you make, how many shots on goal you create. Um, so I, I just think, yeah – uh, Southampton had all that possession, but I mean their attack really looked very sterile. There was very, very little danger of scoring throughout this match. Absolutely, and and this is actually our second request, um, which we'll get to then. It's about how overrated ball possession is because you're absolutely right, and based on the request, I'm going to explain how it happened in a certain World Cup final, which I was proud to witness, but... Now that we've wrapped up the first week of, of the Premier League, well, we can go ahead and take a look at the second week. And I'm actually pretty excited about that because it's going to be good to see Manchester United finally back as they will play Crystal Palace. Now, one of my newest followers who recently subscribed to Internet FC is a diehard Man U fan. He lives up in New York City. Mark, if you're listening to this, I really appreciate your loyal support, as does Steve. And believe me, if you thought what Steve said last week was impressive, just keep listening because Steve only gets better. And I'm not just saying that because Steve is right here, but it's the truth. All right. But Mark said that he believes that Man United, since we're playing Crystal Palace at Old Trafford, it's going to be an easy win. Look, I beg to differ because how many times has Manchester United come short against a much weaker club? I mean, that draw last year against Southampton – and I believe they lost to Crystal Palace too last year. So I said, no, 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 no. I'm not going to make a prediction that we're, Man United is going to win 3-0. to zero. I mean, I live I live with a code that says, never make predictions you can't back up. And I can't back it up because of Man U's mentality and their, uh, and their habit of being what I like to call an unpredictable team. I do think Man U is going to win, but it's definitely going to be, um, they're going to fight tooth and nail. That's the prediction I'm going to make. Man United is going to have to really earn that win. It's not going to be easy. Well, this is what I think. I think Man U wins. Uh, Crystal Palace in the past has proved to be a banana skin for some bigger clubs, particularly for Liverpool. Crystal Palace in this past decade has been almost kryptonite uh, for Liverpool in some games. So, um, But I do think that this is a game that Man U should, should win. Absolutely, and 
Uh, unfortunately, I'm pretty sure Pogba is obviously not going to play. I'm not sure how many days it's been since he was officially diagnosed, but I'm sure even if he's cleared, I'm sure as a precaution, uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is probably going to have him sit, which I guess that's the way to go. I mean, you always want to make take a safety precaution. I mean, if you come back from an illness or an injury, it's always, especially this early in the season, it's probably you know better safe than sorry for the. So it's probably better if he sits out, but. I man, you will win. But now we go to another London derby: Arsenal versus West Ham. And speaking of Arsenal, they're actually currently in first place in the Premier League. Well, they put a beat down on Fulham. Uh, they gave a really nice welcome to Fulham, winning three zip at Craven Cottage. Uh, pretty much dominated the match. Um, hardly broke a sweat in doing so. So uh, uh, Arsenal is a team that is is definitely on the upswing. I mean, maybe Arsenal's going to become a successful, that old successive dominant form. It might be come back to their blood, but like I said last week, you can never be as good as you once were. You can, you can, you, but you definitely can be better, and I think Arsenal really has potential of being better. So hopefully they can keep it up. I mean, <laughs> there's that sports writing perspective. Since Arsenal, if Arsenal gives me a great story to talk about, then I'm all for it. So if Arsenal winning the Premier League is a great story, hell, I'll take it. But now we go to Southampton and Tottenham, and this time Tottenham is on the road. Well, this one becomes almost this one becomes almost a must-win game. <coughs> well, really, both neither team wants to start out 0-2 to start the season. But I think the pressure would probably be almost a little bit more on Tottenham after their really lousy performance against Everton. So um, I think that uh, Tottenham needs to go down to the south coast and put in a much, much better performance. They've got to get the result. Absolutely. And Southampton, since they're frustrated from their uh, opening loss, and you know, but... Now that we you know, since we're, we're both, you know, we're all like, we agree that the fact that ball possession is so overrated, I do believe that Southampton really is like, I don't care. We don't care how s- strong Tottenham is supposedly is. Jose Mourinho doesn't scare us. We can definitely, we're, we're going to beat we're gonna beat Tottenham at home. We're not letting them win. But, but for Tottenham, as, as I said earlier, I can only hope that they're working on getting it together because... Even though it's just two games and there's 38, if I believe if, I believe it's 38, correct me if I'm... Okay, it is 38. I'm actually looking at it right now. 0-2 is never good. I mean, it's not like a you know the NFL, there's a 16-game schedule. It's just never good to lose the first opening two games because the pride falls, the confidence drops, you know, the, the concentration begins to collapse, and the whole team just falls into complete disarray, and that's just, that's just horrible. So, in this one, I, I'm going to predict... You know, I'm kind of breaking my own rule. Don't make predictions you can't back up. I think this is a, this is going to end in a draw, in a 1-1 draw. Okay. <laughs> Why? Because, I mean, Tottenham is, hasn't picked up that mentality groove yet. Southampton, you don't know what they're going to do. I mean, when they forced that draw against Manchester United last year, I mean, even though it was last year, it's old news. Southampton can come in and, and just surprise the world. I mean, they've done it before, so I know that they can do it again. All right. Next one on your hit parade. All right. Leeds United and Fulham. Oh, an all-promotion clash. 
that's a very unique match, and that's a very unique way to say it. Great job, Steve. Well, uh, first top flight match in Yorkshire since 2002, uh, and if the first match is any indication, uh, I think Fulham is going to be in for a really, really tough day at the office in Yorkshire this weekend. Well, absolutely, because Leeds United is coming off a losing effort against Liverpool. I think Leeds United is gonna, well, they're not gonna, they're not gonna play around this time. I mean, they're gonna continue to play rough. They're gonna play the way that they like to play. They're gonna play sublime football. I think they come away with a, with a resounding win. Yeah, I don't, I don't see Fulham getting a, getting a win in, um, in Ellen Road for this one. I think Leeds wins fairly comfortably. Oh, absolutely. Now we get to Everton versus West Brom. So this, I'm going to cut right to the chase. Everton's coming off a, a win against Tottenham, and Everton's got some momentum going. I think they take this win. Opening match at Goodison Park. Um, this is not the ever. This is not the Everton side that we've grown accustomed to seeing the last few years. This is a much much improved team. Look for Everton to go two and zero after this weekend. Absolutely. Very uh, a very reasonable pick. Now we get to Newcastle and Brighton. Well, I think Newcastle takes care of business. I know Jordy fans are kind of like the Charlie Brown uh, of fans in English football. They're so used to being disappointed, but uh, but Newcastle looked pretty darn good the other day. So um, I think I think Newcastle will win their home opener. It's just amazing, you know, these predictions like Newcastle, you know, being on top, and then, you know, for Man U and Man City to play their first games, it's going to be quite a stressful start, even if both teams manage to win. But now we get to a, this is a match I, re- I really plan on sitting on. I mean, it, it's probably going to interfere with the Cowboys game, which is at noon, but now we are at Chelsea versus Liverpool. Now, since Liverpool's your club, Steve, go ahead and give it all you got. Tell me everything. Well, they've got a lot to work on this week um, again they're going to be playing a team that has even classier forwards than what Leeds came up against um, Chelsea did show in the past towards the end of the last season that they had some problems at defense but for the here and now Liverpool's defense just really seems to be struggling uh, this is one I think I think Chelsea wins this one at home wow you know, but I like how you know you you are being realistic because you are you are telling the facts straight, and it is true. Liverpool's defense is struggling, and in this game, even though Christian Pulisic obviously won't be playing, you know, with, with Timo Werner there and uh, Jorginho, I believe his name is, and you know, what if Olivier Giroud? I mean, I don't know. I mean, as, as far as him starting, I mean, maybe he will, maybe he won't. I mean, even if he comes off the bench and plays, I mean, Olivier Giroud, while he's you know he's in his mid thirties, he still he still has it. He still looks great. I mean, he recently he recently scored his fortieth goal for for the uh, French national team, and he's actually two goals away from uh, becoming the the second all time uh, French scorer. Yeah, I believe he's about to pass Michel Platini, and um, that's that's pretty good company to to be with, but. Um, I just think right now, Chelsea, it's it's too bad uh, that Pulisic won't be able to be playing this weekend, at least by all accounts he's not going to be playing. Um, it's too bad. I would have liked to have seen him have a run against Liverpool. 
Um, and after the restart, when Chelsea played at Anfield against Liverpool, when they brought him on in the second half, uh, Pulisic played fantastic match, set up one goal, scored another, uh, and he had quite the game and was giving Liverpool all they could handle. So it's unfortunate he won't be playing this weekend, but hopefully he can get his hammy all healed up. I hope so, because, you know, as I said this before, I root for Chris and Pulisic. Now this game, I think, I'm going to I'm gonna have to go the same way. I think uh, Chelsea pulls it off at home at, Stan- at Stamford Bridge. Now we get to Leicester City and Burnley. I'm just, you know what? Another match where I cut straight. I'm gonna just go get right to the chase. Leicester City wins, and I think Jamie Vardy is is gonna have another brace, maybe a hat trick. Never know. Burnley's a team that you know they never really seem to get these stars, but yet they still manage to stay mid table. They're they usually are not in the mix for the relegation spots. So, um, you know, hard to, hard to say, but, um, but yeah, I, yeah, I, I agree with you on this one, Alex. All right. Now we are to Aston Villa and Sheffield United. <sighs> well, mm, yeah, Villa, <laughs> this one, this one, this one has one, one written all over it. Um, Villa was very, very fortunate to be able to avoid the drop at the end of the regular season. And I think they're going to be a candidate for making the drop again this year. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Um, you know, Sheffield United, it, it would be hard to them, hard to imagine them playing as, as poorly as they did against Wolves. But I think this I, this is one I pick as a draw, 1-1. I mean, and I have to agree with you because Sheffield United has got to pick up that pace, but I think a 1-1 seems realistic. But now we get to the now we get to Wolverhampton and Manchester City. Hmm, well, I mean, should I just say, okay, should I just say it right out of the blue? Since it's Manchester City we're talking about, and as loaded and strong as they are they take the win i think so the the difference between wolves not getting a european spot this time um was the fact that against the the top five teams they didn't they didn't get a win against any of the top five teams in um in the epl last year so i don't look for that to change uh, I think I think Wolves will probably be upper mid table, like maybe around ninth or eighth this year. But I don't I don't see them even if it's going to be the home opener uh, at Wolverhampton. I think Man City wins this fairly comfortably. Absolutely. <laughs> so now we've wrapped up the Premier League talk, but I want to take a little bit of time and I want to talk about the match between. PSG and Olympique de Marseille Le Classique because I believe it was the first time that Marseille beat PSG in Paris. I believe it was the first time since the 2010 or 2011 season or it might have been the 2009-2010 season but I know it's been at least 10 years. It's the, it's the, it's the first time that Olympique Marseille has beaten PSG since 2011. Oh wow. First, oh, overall, first, oh wow. Just overall. This is the first time you know since 2011. That's why you know 
uh, a couple of shows back when we were talking about rivalries, you know, among the really bad rivalries and stuff that are in soccer, for something to be truly a rivalry, you got to have a certain level of competition. And PSG has pretty much owned Marseille for the last nine years. So it was really nice uh, for Marseille to get the win. Tovan scored a beautiful volley uh, off a set piece. And really, uh, I mean, PSG, they dominated most of the possession. They had most of the good shots on goal. Steve Mandela, the goaltender for Marseille, made an incredible, almost Gordon Banks-type miracle save uh, early on in the first half. Um, Very ugly, very bad-tempered match. Um, Ended up finishing with a a brawl on the field. Uh, Three red cards for Paris, two red cards for Marseille. Uh, Neymar, uh, he took one of the reds, so he won't be playing. Um, was Was not a pretty match to watch. Uh, some really, really hard and cynical fouls throughout this game. Um, but Marseille, it, you know, you could call it winning ugly, but uh, they'll take the win uh, over the old enemy. And uh, PSG, they, they certainly miss Mbappe, although they did have Neymar in their lineup. Um, I think Mbappe just gives them that little bit of something extra. And uh, I think that that uh, missing class, it, it showed against Marseille. But, uh, but as an Olympic Marseille fan, yeah, I was happy with the result. But, uh, but, but it was an ugly game. This is not one. If, you're, if you've got an American friend that you're going to try to turn on to, to soccer, this was not the game to do it. It was pretty ugly. Absolutely. And actually, before, uh, since uh, Marseille and PSG is one of the requests, um, you know, as we talk about the rivalries, like how we compare this rivalry, Le Classique, to the old hockey rivalry between uh, Montreal and, uh, and Quebec City, the, the Nordiques and the Canadians, you know, it seemed realistic. But I see a friend, my American friend actually, you know, American friend spoke to me and he, and he looked at this up and he says, well, this sort of reminds me a little bit of Michigan and Ohio State. And I said, well, the, those two do have comparisons, but Le Classique is, is much more... Whereas because they have similarities because, you know, the supporters hate each other too. Absolutely. But with Marseille and PSG, I mean, there's supporters that, you know, some supporters have actually been killed, like like assaulted. I mean, I'm sure it's been the same thing with these college football rivalries, but look at that week, it's just, it's, it's like probably 10 more levels. It's a, I think it's pretty safe to say that the CRS, those, these are the, the special cops, the special patrol that handle riots in France. Um... They absolutely hate those two two days of the year when Marseille and Paris play, you know, at the Parc des Princes and then at the Stade Vélodrome in Marseille. They just absolutely hate it. Um, the hatred between the fan bases is so profound. They're, they're two very different cities. It's two very different uh, dynamics. Uh, they, they, they just could not be any, any more different. Absolutely, and and you can't blame them for hating these two days because there's all you know there's always there's always at least a ninety percent chance that there's going to be some problems. So you can't really blame them for resenting this kind of day. No, ab- absolutely not. I mean, uh, 
And there actually were a few fans. I think that they allowed up to 5,000 fans in the Parc de Prince. It's a pretty safe bet they didn't allow any traveling supporters from Marseille to come up, um, which is probably not a bad idea. But, um, but yeah, you know, at least they were able to play it in front of a few thousand people. And um, ugly win for Marseille, but, you know, they start out 2-0. and And PSG, they're out of the blocks 0-2. It's still a long season. It's still a team that's just incredibly loaded in terms of the means that what PSG has to buy talent. They're so head and shoulders above anybody in France as far as what they're capable of spending. You know, what you had talked about a little bit earlier with PSG, and although, yeah, they may be falling short a little bit in Europe, but as far as in domestic play in France, since 2011... Only two other teams besides PSG have won the, the league on title. Uh, Montpellier won it back in uh, 2012 on the last day of the season. That was Giroud's last year in Montpellier before he went, made the jump uh, over to English football. And then um, I want to say five years ago when Monaco, when Mbappe and Demars were playing with Monaco and they played just beautiful ball and... Uh, Mbappe was so impressive that PSG bought him from from Monaco, but they pretty much have won like seven out of the last nine nine titles. Um, they're they're pretty much a shark in a pond compared to the rest of their competition in France. So uh, I, for one, I'm I'm glad to see PSG out of the blocks 0 and 2, just so they can make it a little more interesting to try to follow Ligue 1 this year. Absolutely. So now we get to the first request. The first request was, was I upset that PSG lost to Marseille? No, absolutely not. Because it's not so much because of the sports writing and the objective perspective in me. It's because I'm not a typical Paris Saint-Germain supporter. Like, Paris Saint-Germain supporters, they only cheer for PSG. They don't cheer for anybody else. For me, I do not hate Olympique de Marseille. For me, I'm just a fan. You know, I mean... I kind of watch PSG a lot. It's because of really Kylian Mbappe is why I tune in to actually follow PSG the most. I mean, even if he's not, I mean, if he goes to Real Madrid or Liverpool, I'll still follow PSG, obviously. But I'm not the fan that you see, like you know, who has it in, in his blood. Like in my uh, in my residence, I'm willing to put a Marseille ba- uh, banner, you know, in one room and then put the Paris in another. But for me, I just want to see the French League One become big again. And like Steve said, you know Marseille and Paris—they're two different cities, but they're two—they're two very popular cities. Obviously, there's those—you know—obviously there's rough parts, but you know that's Europe. But but to answer the question, no, because I have respect for Marseille. I mean, even though I mean a lot of the, if there's any PSG supporters that follow this, they're probably really pissed at me right now. I probably—if I, I was part of a club, I'd be banned for saying this, but really I don't care. But no, I'm not mad because I mean I I will root sometimes for Marseille. I mean, if Marseille's in the Champions League final against Bayern Munich le- next, you know, next tournament by any chance, I'll definitely support for Marseille because I want to see the underdog win. I mean, that's a story for me. That's a benefit for me. It gives me a story to write about. Well, I think a lot of the Marseille fans don't don't share your magnanimity. Um, I know that at the when they had the final, the Champions League final against uh, Bayern Munich. Uh, after Byron beat PSG in the final, they had 
you know, a whole lot of people were not socially distancing and they were celebrating in Marseille. So, um, what can you say? Obviously, what what what, what, what can you say? It's it. It's a it's a rivalry that has a very very heavy duty edge to it. It does, and and, and let me say this: Look, PS, those PSG fans, if they're pissed at me, look. What you have to understand: I'm a sports writer. I took a vow of being objective and and being professional, not taking a side, and just simply telling like it is. And let me say this: Honestly, I mean, at the end of the day, I just love watching soccer. Well, I do have favorite clubs. At the end of the day, I mean, really, I want to be the fan that just enjoys watching the game. Does that does that make sense, Steve? Sure, it makes sense. Sure. And honestly, look, I'm not, I'm not happy about the fact that these two, that these fan bases hate each other and they do all this shit. I mean, really, the way I see it, it's ridiculous. I mean, to both sides, you know, grow up. It's not worth, you know, attempting to ruin your own life all because your team loses to a team that you know that your team is has a long historic rivalry with. Because at the end of the day, it's really just a game. No, that's right. It is. It is just a game, but um, but yeah. Uh, but I, I definitely was in front of my TV watching that one on Sunday. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was following it on, on the phone, but but I was not watching. So now we get to request number two out of three. Why I lo- I support Mohamed Salah so much? Well, this is actually kind of personal because, as um, some of y'all know, I'm of Arabic descent, and in the Arabic culture, when um a footballer becomes superior superiority with popularity he achieves great success it brings it's it's got pride in us like we we have pride for it because i don't think there's ever been a player you know you know i mean ever since i mean some people say zidane's not an arab but i mean zidane is is extremely popular in arab culture i mean he's a hero just like he is in france so for me mo salah is the biggest name is the biggest hero in arabic culture as far as footballing goes since zinedine zidane so that's why I root for him. I mean, but uh, uh, that, and obviously since, you know, like I said, you know, the story, you know, the fact that he gives me the benefit of, of stories, you know, in the sports rank perspective, Mo Salah really has built a reputation of being one of those dudes you just you just can't hate. I mean, no matter who you cheer for, he, he's get, he's getting to be one of those dudes that you have nothing but respect for. He just seems like a really nice guy. I mean, he plays the game, you know, with a smile. Um and he, he's just he's just such a fun player to watch and uh, you know uh, for Liverpool fans it's kind of a cool thing to have arguably the two best African footballers you know playing on your front line uh, between Mo Salah and Sadio Mane of Senegal uh, they're they're such great talents they complement each other so well but um but Mo Salah, I mean, definitely, I mean, he's definitely the number one favorite in Egypt. And because of Mo Salah, there's a whole lot of Egyptians that are walking around out there with Liverpool jerseys. So he's he's definitely a phenomenon in that corner of Africa. Yeah, and, and honestly, this actually brings me a question. Do you believe that in Algeria, that, well, you know, you remember, okay, well, if you have a little bit more time, you remember the, the international friendly between France and Algeria in 2001? Oh, that fiasco, yes. See, I didn't watch it because I was in school. My dad was at home watching it, and when I came home, he was obviously upset about it because actually a friend of mine, uh, he didn't mention, he didn't really have, he wanted me to talk about it sometime, but I'll just do it today. He asked me if, if Algeria has respect for Zidane. I, 
I mean, I would. I think, I, so. I think some of them do, but there was that game in 2001 where some Algerians were shouting every time Zidane had the ball or if his face was shown on the screen, they would they were shouting Zidane Harki. And Harki is a term for from during the the war of France and Algeria. Harki was a term for Algerians who sided with the French. So I mean, I, I guess it's a little fifty fifty. I mean, it's it's hard. I mean, what people don't understand. Look, he's a Fr- he's French. He's of Algerian descent. Although I believe he has citizenship in both. Even he was eligible to play for either nation. He chose France, but he he qualified. But I I know a lot of African uh, fans and and fans from North Africa. And I've, I've never heard one say a disparaging word about Zidane uh, as a player. Um, you know, he's he's such an idol. And, um, yeah, that ill-fated friendly with France and Algeria that was done with, you know, the best of intentions. And, um, you know, France and Algeria have such a complex history um with France's heavy hand during colonial rule and then a very, very bitter colonial war from 1954 to 1962 with horrible excesses and atrocities that were done on both sides by Mujahideen and by French military and civilians being caught in the middle. Um, you know, France is, in, in France, it's it's still, to this day, it's still very, very difficult to find somebody who's willing to talk about the, the war in Algeria. And that was over in 62. You can find some books now, um, but there's also very, very precious few movies that have been done involving uh, the war in Algeria. So there there is this very incredibly complex backstory with a lot of relations with uh, France and Algeria, not too unlike the very, very ambivalent relationship that the United States has with Mexico, you know, but that's, that's a whole other story. But, um, but yeah, you know, it, it, it is, it, it is a very, very tough subject to talk about, you know, cause they're getting into issues of race. You're getting into issues of colonialism Um how France benefited from the colonial system um, in Algeria and and in other countries in Africa and other parts of the French uh, colonial empire. So there's a lot to dive in there and probably to analyze at another day. Mm -hmm. And honestly, and I'll I'll set the record straight, I'm not, I mean, I'm proud to be Frenchman. I love the French Republic, but I'm not proud of what France did during the colonization. Of course not. And, and, you know, that game, I mean, that game never ended. It ended up being abandoned. And the highlight for me in that game was Lilian Turin, you know, confronting, I believe, was a, I'm not, it, was a, it wasn't really a kid. It was, it was a young man, obviously. And, I mean, he said it in that documentary how he confronted me. He said, hey, come here, young man. And he explained to him what he was doing and how it was hurting his country. But but that infamous match, folks, um, when my hero Zidane got attacked that way, I mean, it's, it's painful for me, too, because, you know, I mean, racism is just unacceptable, but, but set the record straight, I mean, Zidane is a Frenchman, I mean, some people, I mean, some people probably still resent him because, you know, he, some people will say he's a traitor, but you know what, he's not, it's ridiculous to say, to say he is, and really, there's just no point of being racist about it. Indeed. Yeah. So, the last request is, uh, about, why do I think of Olivier Giroud, and really, if I believe that 
Benzema's omission benefited for Giroud. Well, I mean, honestly, I, I don't. I mean, I, I guess you can say that Benzema not being there opened up the opportunity for Giroud because Giroud sort of took over the leadership role when Benzema was gone. I mean, he took he took over as in the leader in 1986, even though Lloris was still the captain. But Giroud took on a leadership role for the attack. So I guess in some way, maybe it benefited from him. But in Giroud's case, really, I don't think he has any concern. I mean, he, he would say whether Benzema's here or not, I would do my duty. I would do my best to help the French uh, national team. I think Giroud benefited. But again, and I think you and I have talked about this before, Benzema only has himself to blame for the fact that, you know, he's out in the wilderness uh, away from the French national team. Uh, you just don't extort a teammate. There are certain things that I just think that there's, you know, no forgiveness for. One is betting on your own team, but the other one is uh, trying to blackmail one of your teammates uh, to extort money out of them, like what he did with Val Buena. Mm-hmm. And that's just that's just inexcusable. It's too bad. Benzema is an incredible player. He was arguably Real Madrid's best player last year. Um, he certainly has the talent where he certainly could have warranted some more selections in the French national side. But at the end of the day, Benzema cooked his own goose. Absolutely, and yeah. There, there's, there's to me, to me, the discussion is over on that. I think that, you know, it, it's time to move on on that. And it's, you know, not too unlike Pete Rose in baseball. You know, it's 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 sad what happened, but, um, you know, and he also, Benzema truly never has said a whole lot in terms of contrition about how wrong he was in doing that either. So that that, that to me just sort of seals the deal. Well, he maintains that he's innocent and he, and he simply denies it, but... But when it comes to denying it, I mean, every, any, all those people who are accused of such crimes, and of course they're going to deny it. But as we wrap this up, I mean, you know, a fan actually, you know, one of my listeners said this to me, and he said that I had a lot of guts to actually defend Deshaun in this whole matter with Benzema. And I said, look, it's because it's the truth, okay? I mean, about how Deshaun is not racist. I'm like, well, I mean, look, all I said, I just said that, I just simply told the truth, you know, and it's ridiculous. And this same fan actually was so happy that you and I explained why Deshaun Cantona will never be friends again. And, <laughs> and, and, and I mean, I, I, I knew that one day it would come. And, and the last thing that this, this supporter said to me, and if you're listening to this dude, if, if anytime you have any questions, dude, dude, anything, just let me know. And he asked me, like, how often my dad and I argue, because my dad is, is a huge Cantona guy while I, you know, I support Deshaun. And I said, really, I mean, like a lot of these Guys, my dad just really doesn't get it. My dad doesn't like Deshaun. He never will, and he just believes that Deshaun is lucky and all, but really, at the end of the day, they'll never see eye to eye. I mean, like Steve explained, they, they've hated, these two have hated each other since, since during their time in, uh, in Marseille when they were young guys. So, yeah, I mean, so, some people might even say that it, it's, it's the same thing with uh, Zidane and Matarazzi. They'll never, well, first of all, they were never friends. I mean, I don't think either of them were ever friends, but... Yeah, those are just yeah. irreconcilable differences. Exactly. All right, folks. Well, thank you all so much for joining us this week. 
Once again, I'd like to remind you that Internet FC is available on Spotify, Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and YouTube. Next week, there will be another episode covering week two, and we will give our thoughts going into week three. You can be excited about that, and as usual, you should expect the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Steve, once again, I'm very thankful that you can join me today. I learn so much from you every time you're on. It is just an amazing honor for you to be my guest. Thanks for having me on, Alex. Have a good week, everybody. All right. Y'all stay safe. Let's have some fun. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.